Well, good morning. My name is Kristen Paleo. I'll be reading the scripture this morning. Um, it is found in John chapter 12, verses 20 to 43. You can follow along on the screens or in your Pew Bible, page 845. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save them from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now in the judgment of this world, now the ruler of this world will be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Sorry. Though he had done so many times before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw this glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This is the word of the Lord. With the last verse of last week's passage, we read of the religious leader's complaint. This is verse 19. Look, they say, the world has gone after Jesus. They don't want that. They want the world to stay with them. And at first, their complaint could feel like the type of exaggeration we all do when we complain, look, this is the worst traffic jam ever on Thanksgiving or whatever, and, and it's never the worst. Uh, 
but that's what we say. They complain, look, the world has gone after Jesus, and that feels over the top, and yet John, the author, grabs that phrase of the world going after them, and in the first verse in our passage, he plays on that and says that even the Greeks, meaning the Gentiles, the the, the non-Jewish people of the world, which is a whole lot of people, they wish to see Jesus, and they do. They make it a point. On their way to Jerusalem to worship, they, they want to see Jesus too. They, even though it's costly. Now, what they wish to see in Jesus, who they understand him to be, that we're going to have to talk about. Just as we'll have to talk about what we wish to see when we wish to see Jesus. Would you join me in prayer as we study this passage together? Heavenly Father, would you give us the same heart that these people of the world had when they came to see Jesus? They wanted, they wished to see Jesus. And Lord, would you help us that when we see you as you really are, we would still want you. The way you are, the way you present ourselves to us, that we would see in you a glory that we would not otherwise see. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The National Park Services is the agency in the government that oversees federal parks and historic sites and memorial sites and, and, and so on. And each year they release the numbers of people who visit sites. And I imagine among us this morning, probably some of us ended up at one national park or another in the last year. So, for example, Shenandoah, um, just south of us, had 1.5 million visitors. Okay, well, yeah, you already put that up. Um, This is, so Amber, uh, her name's Amber Cher, but she made these posters. Uh, 1.5 million people went to see it, and this is, she put terrible reviews uh, on her posters. She wanted to be memorable. So not a lot to offer unless you want to hike, (laughs) was was what one person thought. So there's one for the Grand Canyon. Um, Four million people went to see it. And a hole, a very, very large hole, is what one person thought. And uh, Yosemite National Park, here's, here's one of my favorites. It says, the trees block the view. So there's El Capitan on the side, a granite wall, um, a lot of gray rocks. <laughs> uh, just a couple more. Yellowstone says, save yourself some money, boil some water at home. So Old Faithful. Uh, it's not very impressive. Sequoia National Park, this is a good one. There are bugs, and they will bite you on your face, is what that says. Um, finally, I don't know if anybody's been to uh, Isle Royale. I guess it's in Lake Superior. Has anybody ever been there? I don't, I don't know, but the, the review, the one-star review was no cell service and terrible Wi-Fi. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, yeah. So those are funny, right? Question, why is it funny? Why, why are those funny? You stop and think about it. The, the people who wrote them, they didn't feel like this was too impressive, right? In the words of the passage, why, why could the people who wrote those reviews not see the glory of these national parks? Would we say that they were blind? 
No, they're not blind. They're seeing gray rocks or something else. But they couldn't see, though, could they? I think it would be right to say that they couldn't see in some way. I think of the review that says no cell service and terrible Wi-Fi. When you hold your phone right in front of your face, it does prevent you from seeing. You're not blind, but you are prevented from seeing. And to use, again, the language of this passage, you can't see the glory of God when you can only or mostly see the glory that comes from man. That's the language of this passage. To be more specific, you can't see the glory of the cross of Christ when you love the glory that comes from one another. So that, that's where this is heading, but the passage begins with good news. So here's the first point. Jesus wants to be seen. It's really good news. Jesus wants to be seen. It, it might be hard to keep track of all that's happening in this passage. Like, there's a number of things that happen. People come to see Jesus, Jesus himself speaks, the crowd speaks, God the Father speaks, John the narrator speaks, the prophet Isaiah in a sense speaks in the way that he's quoted to. So there's a lot of speaking, there's a lot of conversation in a sense, like if you're looking in the SV Bible, there's three headings, it's three passages that we're lumping together as one, but we're doing that because it can all be lumped together under this theme of seeing. Let me read a few of the verses again. So if you have it, just leave it open. I want to reread a few of the verses and highlight this theme of seeing. So it begins in verse 20, John chapter 12, verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast of some Greeks, so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida, that's, that's up north where there were more Greeks, and they asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went, so there's a scene there. They're, they're, they're going out of their way. They're taking a risk. And then Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew was also from the same town. They were friends, I presume. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, verse 23. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This word glory, it, it, it means greatness on display. There's a, there's a visual aspect to glory. Verse 27, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, so this hour of when glory is going to be displayed. He says, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Verse 32, skipping down, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, so when I am made more visible, I will draw all people to myself. Then going to verse 35, Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while. Light, making things more visible. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. Going down to verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. There's a lot of verses, right? There's a lot happening there. But you can, I hope, just briefly see the cluster of phrases related to seeing. The Greeks wish to see him. Jesus speaks of coming for a very specific hour when his glory is going to be revealed. So glory, greatness on display. Then there are statements about light, which makes things more visible. And then as you go through that Isaiah quote, which is about seeing or in some cases not seeing, 
You have Isaiah who lived 700 years before Jesus looking forward with the eyes of faith and saying, I see something in Jesus and I call that glorious, is what John says of that. It's all about sight. So that's the first point. It's not more complicated than that. It's just that Jesus wants to be seen. And that's really good news. It's really good news. We can be encouraged that when you ask God to Show him more of yourself. When you come to church, gathering with God's people, when you open your Bibles in the morning and you're asking and longing for God to reveal more of himself, you're not praying for something crazy. When you ask to see and more, more and more of Jesus and to go deeper with him, to give you the eyes of faith, you're not asking for something peripheral. You're asking for something central to the mission of Jesus, his, his, his desire for your life. The people in the passage wish to see Jesus, and that's good news because Jesus wants to be seen. But here's the next point. He wants our eyes to see him, but he wants our hearts to understand. Specifically, he wants our hearts to understand his glory. Jesus wants you to understand when you see him, what you see. Go back to the posters. He he, he doesn't want you to come to him and say, no cell service, (laughs) terrible Wi-Fi, right? He doesn't want you to say, well, it's just a big hole in the ground, nothing special here. If we weren't so accustomed to being around Christianity, when we think of glory, we would never think of the cross. Like it, it's our familiarity with Christianity that inclines us to start thinking that way. But if we were not so familiar, we would never think that. Glory goes with advancement and promotion, thriving, getting ahead, staying on top. Glory goes with victory. Glory, glory goes with life. And yet here in this passage, that God wants us to see him, but he wants us to see that, that, that connection between what we see and what is glorious is specifically his death and the cross. They're overlaid together. Not only is that hard for us to see, it was hard for them. Which is why I think this passage in so many ways is repeating these themes over and over again, this connection between death and glory. So just a few of them here. Look at verse 24. Jesus speaks of his death like this grain of wheat that falls to the ground. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, right after that, In this context of death and a grain of wheat falling to the ground and dying, which feels so unglorious, the audible voice of God speaks and calls it what? Glorious. And they are so blind to this that they equate the voice of God to to, to a thunder or angel perhaps. This is John's way of saying they don't get it. It's like they've gone to Yellowstone National Park and Old Faithful and say, well, why didn't I just stay home and boil water myself, right? There's nothing glorious about Jesus' death. We see this in their confusion, this confusion of linking glory and the cross in verses 32, 33, and 34. Look, Look at those with me. 
Jesus says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ must remain forever. I think the law there being the whole of the Old Testament. We've read in the Old Testament that the Christ is going to remain forever. The Messiah is going to live forever. So how can you say the Son of Man, this, this really exalted title in Daniel 7 for the Messiah, the Christ, this really exalted title, how can you say he must be lifted up? And who is the Son of Man? Like, we don't understand. We're confused. There's part of this they weren't confused about. So when Jesus says lifted up, they know that lifted up is shorthand for execution by crucifixion. In a similar way, if, if we said the electric chair, and we could just say, in short, the chair, and we, we would know what we were referring to. We speak of sometimes execution by hanging. We say to string someone up. There's a shorthand associated with that. In the same way, this is maybe less common, but execution by firing squad, to stand against a wall. These these are all these clusters of phrases that refer to something that we only have to say it in shorthand, and we know Jesus says to be lifted up, and they go, oh, we know what you mean, but we don't know what you mean because these two don't go together. They understand, but they don't understand. They see, but they they don't see. This connection between death and glory, it, it confuses them. So in verse 34, they say, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. This is really key. They see in the Old Testament, rightly, passages that speak of the Messiah, of the Christ, who's to remain forever, he's to thrive, he's to get ahead, he's to have victory, advancement, promotion, glory. And those are real, 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 61, Psalm 89, Daniel chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 9, this Christmas passage. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. So they see those, but if they had been more careful and more, more seeing, they might have said something like, we have heard from part of the law that the Christ would remain forever. That would be a more careful way to say it. To say it that way, we have heard from part of the law, not just that we have heard from the law, but we've heard from part of the law that the Christ remains forever. That would have signaled that they understood that there are parts of the law that seem to say there is a costly death, a sacrifice, a costly victory. But they don't see those verses. They're, they're, They're blind to those verses. And isn't that a real temptation for us? I mean, isn't that so real? We see the verses we like, ones about glory and life, and we just don't see those other ones as much. We know we can do all things through Christ, right? Get a promotion, find a spouse. (laughs) Paul writes it in the context of prison. suffering and hardship, this, this path of obedience. He's walking, he's like, I can do all things through Christ. Like the really hard stuff is what that verse means. We don't often see those. God's purpose in our suffering and our dying, whether a literal death or the glory and the death of our pride. I mean, how hard is it to say, I'm sorry? It's so hard. 
We don't see the glory in the death of our ability to determine our own glory. We don't like that. We want to be Lord of our lives. That's where glory lies. The self-determining path. That's glory, we think. Which leads to the last point. Why don't we see glory here in this passage? Or why, why don't they, why don't we, why don't our eyes, why do our eyes confused by this? Well, the passage gives a reason. We're not left to wonder. Look with me at verse 32 and then 34. It's the very end. Nevertheless, many of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. It feels real, doesn't it? It does to me. It's hard to see Jesus as special, specifically his death as special, when there are other shiny things in front of our face. To paraphrase the title of a book I think is helpful, when people are big, God is really small. Now, John describes them as believing. Did you notice that? He describes them as believing. He writes, Many even of the authorities believed in him. However, then he adds, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. What do, we, what do we make of this belief? What is that? Is it real? Is it not real? To be honest, I'm not really fully sure what to make of their belief. In other words, which way is their belief trending? John says they kind of believe, but they kind of don't believe. Which way is it trending? Are they those who want to see, wanting to remove the obstacles that are right in front of their face, that are obscuring the glory of Christ, to to, to lay them aside so that they can see, or are they they trending more towards indifference? Think of that poster for Shenandoah that said, not much to do unless you want to hike, right? Right? Do they want to go on that hike? Do do they see, yeah, it is glorious and it is worth it and we will go on that hike and we're going to see some things. They go, nah, let's go home. Which way is their faith trending? It's an interesting question. But to be candid, I'm far less concerned with the way in which their faith is trending compared to my concern for the way which your faith is trending. Are we those who are are so concerned with what others think that we can't see the glory of Christ? Not only seeing his glory, but then also becoming like him as well, that that we might become that grain of wheat that lays down our pride, lays down our whatever, so that others might have life. Is, is, Is that uninteresting to us? Could God write of us They believed in Jesus, but nevertheless, to paraphrase the end of the passage, but nevertheless, on account of the love for them, 
selves and for the fear of neighbors and friends and family, they did not confess the Christ because they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. I don't want that to be said of me, to be said of us. And I think that's why this passage is here. To give us a better way. I want to close with this quote from this pastor from another generation. His name's J.C. Ryle. He was a pastor in London in the 1800s. One of the joys of going through John and other kind of gospels, he's written some commentaries on these books, is just seeing the way he saw things in his own day, and they're so similar, (laughs) even though so much has changed. Speaking of these verses and this passage in general, J.C. Ryle said, a believing view So eyes to see, a believing view of the unseen God and the unseen Christ and the unseen heaven and the unseen judgment day is the grand secret of overcoming the fear of man. All those things are in the passage. A believing view of the unseen God, so to see the unseen God, to see the unseen Christ, to see the unseen heaven, to see the unseen judgment day, all of these things he says, are the grand secret of overcoming the fear of man. In other words, when God is big, people are people. In this passage, God wants us to see so much good news. If we have the eyes to see it, think of verse 31. We read of judgment taking place. In his death, Jesus is judging the value system of this world as is empty as it really is. And he's casting out the ruler of this world and his value system. That's glorious. Verse 26, we read Jesus say, If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. That's glorious. Isn't that amazing? I mean, just think that the Father would honor us. That's a very, like, we wouldn't say that. None of us would have the boldness to say that if it were not said by Jesus himself. Instead of getting this fleeting glory that comes from people, it's here today, gone tomorrow, we're going to get this lasting glory that, goes, that comes from God and goes on forever. That's amazing. Verse 24, we read that when a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, what happens? Much fruit. That's glorious. Isaiah chapter 6 is quoted here. It's kind of quoted as an anti-example of seeing. They don't see, they don't understand, they don't turn, and they aren't healed. But what happens when we do? What happens when we do turn? What happens when we do see, do understand, do turn? The same promise is given to us, but in reverse, that we would be healed. I mean, just think about that. God is longing and desiring to heal. And then we come to that other quote. Isaiah is quoted twice in two different passages. One from chapter 6 there, but the other from verse 35, or chapter 35, which I want to save to read here in just a moment as we prepare our hearts for communion. But God is doing something special. Steve was preaching last week and he said, John's like, all these chapters, and when you hit chapter 12, you've had three years, and the last half of the book is one week of his life. Why? Because he wants us to behold the glory of the cross. Would you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, that we would be willing to turn and we would experience in more and more ways the healing that you long for us to have. We pray this in Jesus' name.